Hi, Art Supply Posse. It's Kim Cofield here. Today I'm talking to Kirby Plessis. Kirby is an artist who creates beautiful pieces of art by pouring paint onto her chosen surface and then embellishing them once they are dry. Her paintings invoke in me a sense of serenity and wonder. Looking at the colours and the serendipitous nature of them, I needed to know how they are created. So, of course, I reached out to Kirby. Kirby is also passionate about artists owning and controlling their online presence, and she shares with us how easy it is for us to do this. Kirby, Plessis, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate you making time for us. Thank you for having me. I'm going to start with the question I ask of everyone because I like this question. I think it changes all the time, uh, the answer to it, depending on where we are in our life. And I'm sure if I come back to you in 12 months, this could be a completely different answer. Who knows? But um, who is Kirby Plessis? Okay. Um, yeah, in 12 months it might be different. Uh, but I am... <laughs> Um, well, I'm an artist, of course, but I'm also a cyber investigator. So my day job right now is doing cyber investigations, um, which means that I investigate the dark web, Facebook, that sort of thing. But I'm trying to transition more into my art. I've been doing art since I was a child, but most of it's been kind of hobby art, that sort of thing. And in the last two years, I've really kind of pushed forward and become more of an artist. I've got some things in galleries and shows. And so when you ask who, who is Kirby Plessis right now, it's, I'm kind of torn. I still, am, I still have a big foot in the cyber investigation world and then a foot in the art world. So you, you mentioned that you know, you've always dabbled with art, which I think a lot of us do. Certainly a lot of listeners are probably in that same boat. But what was it about, like why did you decide you wanted to focus on your art more and, and, and move away from your your day job and, and more into to being an artist? Was there, like, was there a, did you wake up one morning and decide this is what I want to do or is it more of a gradual process? Have you become worn out by your day job? Like I'm, I'm interested to know why you've decided to make that change. Well, I'm not worn out by my day job. I still absolutely love it, but when I moved to Arizona from Washington, D.C., which is where my company is and um, where I started doing my cyber investigations, I moved out here to Arizona to kind of get a little bit of a more chill atmosphere. And what I found is it really inspired me in my art. And then I started watching other artists mm -hmm. on YouTube and Instagram, um, some that inspired me. Then I walked around through the galleries up here in the northern Phoenix area and met some of the people in the Sonoran Arts League and they really inspired me and really encouraged me to join the league and submit stuff to the galleries and so I did and then it just kind of snowballed from there. It sounds it sounds ideal. Like it sounds wonderful to move somewhere and, and become inspired by that new location. It was fantastic, yes. So if we're thinking about like your particular style of art and what, what it is that you create, is that what you've always done or have you dabbled with other things in the past and then found this and that's what struck you as being your type of art and why you wanted to do it? Yeah, I definitely have not done this for my whole life. What I started off with was kind of sketching and drawing. Um, in, the, in the past 10 years, I'd say I was doing more pop art with acrylics then when I moved here, I started doing some abstracts and then I discovered paint pouring. And after I poured my very first piece, I was hooked the way the colors kind of blend and, and flow. And so 
I've really dove into the paint pouring, but I tend to also embellish it. And I embellish a lot with, for example, Posca pens. I have to tell you that your episode with Drew Brophy was a huge inspiration to me. He's the master of the Posca pens. <laughs> yeah, it was um it was great to speak to him. I was I was honored that he took time out to speak to us. Um, because you know when you find out someone is a quote unquote big artist, you know, like he is, you sort of think, Oh, he won't want to speak to just little old us. But it's nice when people like that do share their time because I think we've all got no matter what level we're at in terms of our art and whether it is an income or not an income, we've all got something to share and it's nice when, you know, they can take the time out like that. And it's nice to hear that you're inspired. That's that's fantastic. So inspired. I'm a huge fan of his. So I'm I that episode alone like really grabbed me. And I of course listened to all the episodes, but that was probably my favorite. You said that, you know, you you fell in love with pouring as soon as you did it basically. What do you think it is about that that just like do you do you know why you fall in love? Is it just the process of it or the the end result or it's definitely the process so for example when you're pouring you you can't really you can control certain bits of it but you can't really control you know the way the colors are going to turn out and they're almost always beautiful just even in the middle of the pour you know you don't know what the end product the end product's going to look like but as the paint's just flowing and flowing off the edge and even the drippings on the floor they're all just beautiful and so it kind of puts you in a trance I haven't never tried it before, and I, I'm sure I'm probably not the only listener out there that hasn't. Can you describe a little bit about that process, like what's sort of involved? And obviously, there's some hit and miss in it. I, I'm thinking because you can't really control it. Are there ever failures at all, or, or is it just just the, the nature of it that it always works out beautiful, regardless of? What oh, it happens? definitely doesn't always work out beautiful. So you can overwork <laughs> it, we'll say, um, or else choose you know, maybe colors that don't work or too much of one color, that sort of thing. So the process um, begins with acrylic paints. You mix them with a paint mixing medium. And most of the time I use Floetrol just because it's less expensive and you get it at the hardware stores versus something like Yak 800, which is a lot more expensive. You can mix a little water in as well um, until you get a, a consistency where it will pour nicely. So you're mixing each of these colors separately and then you layer them in most cases. I mean, you don't always, but you layer them in a cup together without mixing and then just flip the cup over on a canvas. And that's the basic idea of the, of the dirty pour. And you just kind of let them, let them flow out. Um, the biggest problems, the biggest way to make it not work is to move the canvas too much. You, you have to move the canvas some to let it make sure it covers. But if you keep going back and forth too much, you end up getting kind of a zigzag thing and ripples and sometimes the paint will break apart a little bit. Um, I mean, there's there's points where you want the paint to break apart, but you can definitely overwork it. And I think that's the biggest problem. Don't overwork it. And also don't use um, too much of certain colors, which tend to float to the top and take over, like black and silver. But other than that, I mean, if you... You, it's hard to mess up if you don't overwork it. It sounds like the way you describe it, it sounds like fun. Like it just sounds like something to have a go at, even if it's not something I'm thinking, I could just have a go at this for the sake of the fun it would bring as opposed to anything else. It just sounds so opposite to, I don't know about you, but when I think about art, I think about, and this is very generalised, I realise, but it thinks, you know, you think about a process of making it 
and applying brush strokes or you know whatever it is to create what you you know the picture that image you're trying to create but this sounds very free-flowing and very just let's see what happens with it you. is it's very experimental and it's very it's very zen like I said you can kind of be in a trance as you're watching these this paint you do have you know there is like some tricks to fixing your composition for example you know letting certain colors come off different sides or even building your cup in a different way. Um, I try to make large pieces, which are kind of unusual. Most paint pourers don't. And then, like I said, I usually embellish them afterwards with Posca pens or something mm -hmm. to fix my composition a little, to make it a little more unusual. But it is fun. I suggest you try it. <laughs> I think I might have to. So how long does that take to dry then before you can start to embellish it? It depends on the size of the piece. Some of the smaller pieces can dry in as soon as 24 hours. But a lot of times these big pieces that I'm doing, which um, sometimes they'll be, you know, 36 by 48 inches, and those can take over a week to dry. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a long time. So do you think, let's say you're making one of these big pieces and you've create, you've poured and it's it's now waiting to dry. When you come back to that after it's dried and ready to embellish, would, I would imagine you're in a different headspace at that stage when you're embellishing. So do sometimes they turn out to be even more different to what you thought they were going to be simply because now it's dried, you're in a different place and like mentally you're in a different place and so now what you're embellishing might be different as if to whilst it was still wet. Does that make sense? Like yeah. do you think that's a – is that a fact? Yes, that's absolutely correct. So for example, you're, you're watching a piece and you, you know, about four hours into its drying, you pretty much know what it's going to look like. I mean, it might move up until that point of some of these big ones, but about four hours in, you know what it's going to look like. And there's some where I, where I look at them and I think, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. But then by the time it's dried, I've changed my mind. I have another idea in, in mind. And so this happens all the time. And in fact, I've got a couple of really large pieces ready for me to embellish. And they were going to originally be one thing, and now I'm pretty sure they're both going to be something completely different. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. I like that it just reflects itself and it reflects you at the time. Always changing. <laughs> yeah. So what are your – you mentioned the cheaper brand of the medium that you mix in to, to, you know, to, to, before you pour. What are your favourite brands? Because we, we're, we're Art Supply Posse, so we all love art supplies and I'm, pro, I'm sure we've probably all got a huge stash of things that we just dabbled in for about five minutes and then we don't do again. But what are the materials like? What do you keep coming back to? Are there brands? Are there colours? Are there certain things? And also like your surfaces, are you using canvases to pour on or are we – what what's the best thing or just just depend on what you're trying to do yeah i use a variety of things to pour on so i do use a lot of canvases but i've used the birch panels as well and some live edge wood and the live edge wood actually turns out beautifully especially if you then cover it with resin and so you kind of give it a, a sheen um mm -hmm. most of the time i do use canvas just because it's also fairly light but if i am going to use resin i will try to use a wood panel as far as the paints, mm -hmm. I am pretty much, you know, whatever I can find. Um, I'm not sure if I really have a favorite. I do really like those golden, um, oh gosh, the little mix-ins. And I can't remember the word right now. It's just left my brain. That's okay. But um, to give, it, give them a little bit of sheen. And I'm always in love with blues. Like all the range of blues from turquoise every to aquamarine. I 
blues are my favorite. I have been moving a little bit away from them, but I always come back. And probably I think when we have a favorite thing, like color-wise particularly, I don't know about you, but I find that helps when you know you want to create something but you're really not sure where to go with it. You just have that urge. I think if you reach for that color that you love all the time, at least you know that, well, I don't have to think too much about it perhaps because I know these colors are going to work and they're going to produce something that I love. True. Yeah. So if I if I do want to paint, I'm not sure color-wise, I'll always go blue-green, maybe a little yellow and purple. That's going to be easy and I know it's going to look beautiful. Do you take commissions? Because how does it work if obviously I realize, you, you, you know, there isn't a lot of direction that you can, I mean, there's certain elements, as you say, that you can, you know, make it kind of go to where you want. But how does that work with a commission? Like, do, do, is it a case of just people say, just make it these colors and whatever it will be, will be? No, actually, there's a couple different styles that you can do. So I usually for a commission, I'll have them look at either my Instagram or my website and say, which of these paintings are, are calling to you? And then ask them what calls to them about it, because it could be the colors or it could be the composition. So for example, I have one um, on my website that I named Velvet Canyon. And the composition of that one is that it has a lot of different colors, but they, uh, but it's actually four little cups rather than instead of one big cup to kind of make the, um, I'd say corners, but it's not really corners in the painting. And so that's a completely different composition than, for example, just one simple cup. There's also where you can um, make kind of floral patterns, either by you pressing balloons into the painting or using a straw to blow out the colors a little bit. So the composition can change drastically depending on the technique that you use. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been aware of that. <laughs> so can you share with us a little bit about that process of having your artwork in galleries? Like I imagine as someone who's not done that herself, is that a, is that a scary thing? to like first have an exhibition and have your work hanging and shown or did you just take it all in your stride and you know nope this is where it needs to be and this is where I'm at and this is what's happening you know I think that I would have wanted to be in galleries for a long time I'm not exactly you know it wasn't really in my brain space that I was going to be in the gallery until I walked through one of the galleries and talked to the staff there and they encouraged me to submit to the gallery and so I think that it just happened also in this specific gallery that they were very friendly like that. Some galleries, maybe they, they're not ready for people to submit stuff to them at the moment that you're in there. So they may not be so open about that, but there's a lot of call for arts for in different galleries and different shows all over the place. And what I would encourage someone, if you're thinking that you want stuff in a gallery or in a show to join a local league of some sort and then get on every newsletter to get every call for art and then just start submitting. That sounds like a good idea, especially because the more you submit, the more the chances are that someone might say yes. Absolutely, yes. And then you can also, you know, go. some of the leagues have days where they have critiques and you can bring your art mm-hmm. in and they could tell you, you know, okay, you you were rejected for the show probably because of this, this and the next thing and then you could, you know, fix it. In some cases, it's just because the maybe it wasn't, finished enough you know not just strung to be hung but something that looks like it actually would go in a gallery um maybe the edges weren't finished or it's not framed well or something like that and they can help you and you can focus on that for your next uh show sounds like a good idea definitely getting yourself out there and, and getting known by people too i guess 
Absolutely. I just had a thought about the ones that the pieces that don't work out properly or, or you know, they don't make you happy for whatever reason. What happens to those? Where do the failures go? <laughs> well, you know, I I tend to paint over a lot of them if I can, but when, when you're doing paint pouring, it's a very thick covering you end up with so that you can only do that so many times before the piece is just garbage in some cases and so in some cases you know it goes in the garbage I've got one piece right now that I'm pretty sure I'm going to cut the canvas out of the frame and reframe and uh, put more canvas on it um, but there are some where I just have to throw them away and then there are some where I just keep building on it as an experiment. I'd imagine the the experiment itself even if the end product isn't you know because it's already had something on it it might not be suitable to display but you've gone through that process of experimenting a new style or a new technique or something like that and at least then you know you can do that and replicate it onto fresh canvas yes exactly that's a great idea it saves it saves making another failure when you're trying something new <laughs> on on you know because you know how you sometimes you try something new exactly. and don't it out. yeah yeah oh, i like that so it's kind of like recycling in right. some way <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, nice. We like that. So with your with your artwork, I, I've seen I know your website and I know your Instagram presence. And I'm curious to know because you are someone who is passionate about um artists controlling, you know, where their work is shown as in, in terms of online and actually owning their own online presence and, and whatnot, as opposed to just, you know, Social media only, which which really can just di- disappear tomorrow. You know, if if the mm-hmm. owners of said platforms wake up and decide that they're done and they don't want to sell it or they don't, they could just all disappear. Like that's something I don't think many people think about. Is the reason why you're so passionate about it linked to your day job? Do you think like that cyber work that you do? Is it because you can see what can happen, or is it just something completely unrelated to that? And you just think that artists should be you know yeah I'm just curious to know how you came to that kind of space that that thought process it is definitely related to my cyber work so I've been following these social networks since before most of them existed I started um, that sort of work in 2003 so Mm -hmm. I see them grow I see them change I see them pivot and figure out how they're going to make money and how they're going to monetize. And really it's not in the artist's best interest on how they're making money. So for example, Instagram, super popular. I love Instagram myself. I'm on it all the time. But the thing with Instagram is Instagram needs to make money too. And so in order for it to make money, all these people who have opted in to say, I like your art and they said they're going to follow you of them, less than 10% will see your art at any day. And that's because the Instagram algorithm shows them what it wants to show them. And then you have to buy an ad in order to get in front of your own fans. So that's one of the reasons I think that you need to have a website so that you're not kind of at the whim of these algorithms. Additionally, there's been some cases where someone thinks they're doing everything fine. And for some reason, their account gets suspended or something. And, yeah. you know, it could be for a whim, but it's very hard to reach out to these companies like Instagram and Facebook and say, Hey, please, you know, let me fix this. Yeah. Then you're, you're basically in limbo until your account is restored, unless you have your own website. If we think about the, the, the website options for artists, we might have listeners who are like, okay, I, 
I understand what she's saying and it makes perfect sense to me, but I have no idea where to start with it with a website. I've never I've never learnt coding or, or anything like that and I'm not interested in doing that. What what sort of options are there available for people that at least want to start you know, have their own website and they might not be in the place where they want to actually sell anything at this stage, but they might just want to start to, you know, show their work and, and, and through that perhaps they might come to wanting, you know, wanting sales. Where, where should people start? Well, I think the place that most people immediately go to, which is where I would not start, is that they'll usually have a developer build a WordPress website for them. And the reason I say this is where they should not go is because I'm not trying to get any put any developers out of work. By all means, they make beautiful sites. But a, an artist needs a site that they can update themselves. And exactly what you said, if they feel like maybe they're not going to sell right now, but they want to sell later, maybe they want to switch out art on that page, you shouldn't have to hire a developer every time you want to switch out some of the content of your website. And there's no reason that they need to do that. There are a lot of options right now for very simple, very low cost websites. Um, there's even websites that will just take whatever you have on Instagram and turn that into a website for you. I don't necessarily think that that's the best option, but we do have a lot of options that we can go through on uh, with low cost um, ways and you can edit all of the images yourself. So what what would they be like? Have you have you yourself sat down and had a had a look at them and apply with them and even just created you know websites that don't go anywhere and you don't do anything with, they just stay private to you? Like what What could you suggest to people? Well, I personally have three websites of my own. And then I have played with a lot of different kinds of sites. In fact, I originally had my cyber website was on WordPress and I actually moved it off of WordPress onto another host because I wanted it to be easier to deal with. So I'm going to go through from the easiest mm-hmm. ones to the one that I have my cyber on. Yeah. Um, and so to start with, um, there's a bunch of them out there where you can actually just drop things into Dropbox and have it just show up on your website. And then your Dropbox files it, end up being kind of the um, menu for your website. So for those, there's one called cargo.site. So that's cargo.site. And they have a lot of cool templates. Mm-hmm. I would say that artists probably on the cargo.site template probably want the one that's called scroll. And all it is is a images so you stick a bunch of images in your dropbox they just show up on the website um another free one like that that you can just drop stuff into oh no the next one isn't free but it's another one you can drop stuff into your um dropbox and for twenty dollars a year pretty much do the same thing and that one's blot.im b-l-o-t.im and they also have some great Mm -hmm. templates there's one called magazine one called photos one called portfolio that look very nice. And again, the menu is just going to be what's inside your Dropbox. Um, there are somewhere you, okay, here's another Dropbox one, one called small victories. And when you spell out small victories, you put the dot between the I dot E S. So small victory dot E S. And that's another where you drop them into a Dropbox. I think this one is $36 a year. Very affordable, right? Um, yeah. Another one called card.co, C-A-R-R-D.co. This is uh, super easy. It's not a Dropbox one, but when you when you grab it, it just um, you, you start it for free and you can just click on anything, parts inside of it, and just switch them out just um, by clicking and dragging. Very, very easy to use. And 
it is free for the basic website, but then you can, of course, pay for um, some of the upper levels. Then there's ones like Wix and Weebly. Wix and Weebly, both of them, I think, are about $200, maybe $230 a year. Wix is almost the same as far as um, drag and drop as Card.co, except it has a bit more functionality to it and a little bit more difficult to use than, than just the click and drag. But it does have a lot more that you can actually do as far as designing it. And then lastly, the one that I have my cyber one on. So I have both my art websites on Wix and my cyber website right now is on Squarespace. Of these, Squarespace is definitely the hardest because Squarespace, you do have to do um, not coding, but a lot more formatting, I'd say. But it is a beautiful site and it's about $150 or less a year. And it's it is, has the most beautiful templates. Of those sites, Wix, Weebly, and Square, uh, Squarespace will also manage your email list. Because that's another option that people can, can sort of take, take when they're getting you know, more advanced and more into it is, is having that newsletter option. And I think the newsletters are way more important than social media as far as um, building your audience. Because again, if you get somebody to opt into a, a newsletter, there's a technique that you can do to kind of train them to open your newsletters, and then, then you have an audience. That no matter what the algorithms are, you have that newsletter audience. Thinking about their options, let's say someone has got their website, you know, they've gone with one of these options and after, you know, some time they've decided they actually want to make their art, you know, available to purchase. So I guess e-commerce is the way, you know, is the right descriptor for that. So where should they go? Like if, if you know, are there, are there, again, are there multiple options? Obviously there are multiple payment options. We've got, you know, all sorts of PayPal and, and Square and, you know, all sorts of things. But do they all have their own, like these different websites, do they all have the ability to perhaps upgrade your site and, and make e-commerce an option or would someone have to actually move away from where they are into something completely different to be able to then have sales on there? So of the sites, some of them don't actually have the sales within them themselves, but they will integrate with either Etsy or Shopify or WooCommerce or one of those different e-commerce platforms. So for example, if you do some of the Dropbox ones, you can hook up Shopify with it. And then Shopify will take a percentage off of every sale that you make. Um, Wix, Weebly, and um, Squarespace, and probably some of the other ones will actually allow you to, for price, to hook an e-commerce store right into the um, actual tool. And then either using Square or Stripe or sometimes whatever your bank provides gives you an outlet to have your money go straight into the bank and then you ship out the artwork. And doing this amongst any of them, whether it's Shopify or Etsy or your own website's uh, e-commerce, you can then now go to Facebook, hook it up, sell on Facebook, and then Facebook lets you sell directly on Instagram now. So when you have one of your paintings go across through Facebook onto Instagram, when people see it on Instagram, they'll see a little link that says buy this product and it will buy it from your website. So it makes it, it, it makes that process for the purchaser also really quite easy as opposed to having to jump through four different links to end up back to somewhere else to be, you know, because I don't know about you, but sometimes and email someone for yeah. it and yeah, yeah, it makes it yeah, easier. You just, we, as, as the consumer, you just really want to be able to click as little as possible to make that purchase. And I think that's, that's the key, I'm sure for others, you know, it's like, just make this easy. I just want to buy this thing. <laughs> 
Exactly. If you have if you have the option to give them a buy now button mm-hmm. anywhere, people are going to click that button. And that's something I've realized even in my cyber company, that if you have a button that says buy now, they will buy now. But if you make them email you first and have a conversation, then a lot of times that's a barrier. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're just putting more options for them to not purchase. Exactly. So if we think about newsletters, because I'm curious to know, what what's it like? You, you know, we as you say, we, that's that's where you capture an audience is in a newsletter, and and I agree with that. But where do you think someone should start with that? Like again, are there easier options and more difficult options, or are they all fairly straightforward? And it's just about putting content in there, and you know, how do people find that audience to actually be able to sign up for the newsletter? So the newsletters that that can be as easy as you want or as advanced as you want. There's so such a huge range of what you can do with newsletters. I think the very first thing for someone who's never had a newsletter before is if they have newsletter in the in the website that they're working with, then go ahead and use it in there. If you don't, then you can go to MailChimp.com and get a free newsletter. And MailChimp's very, very easy to help you design your newsletter. It, it's going to seem a little confusing at first because there's a lot of options. But if you just look at the options just to send the original newsletter or to get the original email addresses in and ignore the others at first, then you can take your time and slowly start learning the different things that it has available to you besides just the basic newsletter. Um, when we talk about newsletters, though, to get that original audience, to get them in a newsletter, you've got to you've got to give them a reason to join your newsletter. And most of the time for artists, if you if you're putting everything on Instagram, and then you say, hey, join my newsletter, then a lot of times they're going to say, well, no, I'll just watch you on yes. Instagram. So you, have to, you kind of have to give them a reason. So I'm actually giving a newsletter boot camp this weekend. And one of the things that we're going to do in that boot camp is, is every artist that comes in, we're going to find their reason that people need to subscribe to their newsletter. It's not that they're necessarily going to hold back artwork but that from, from Instagram or anything, but they're going to give something extra that's worth something in the newsletter. So for example... I have a friend who she's very much into um, hiking. My idea for hers would be that, I mean, one of the things that she says is her hikes inspire her art. So to join her newsletter, if somebody joins, they might get a top 10 hikes in the area that she lives in. And that includes, you know, where the hike is, a little map of the hike and um, why it's inspiring. And then for her newsletters, at least the very first couple, uh, inspiring tidbits about a hike she just went on and what what it inspired her to do and kind of even tie it back to some of her artwork so that people feel like they're in on what's happening with this artist and now they want to see that newsletter and it's more than just the instagram yeah that that makes sense and then i guess it could also be a case of certainly once you've built built your audience through your newsletter a case of then saying hey i've got artwork and it's only it's on a special price, but only to newsletter subscribers. You know, it's no one else is going to get the discount, Absolutely. but you guys will because, you know, I appreciate you. You've been here with me, you know, week after week or month after month or whatever whatever your newsletter, you know, um, how often it comes out. You've been with me for all this time, so now I'm going to thank you by saying, hey, you can now get a discount or, or a, you know, buy one, get one free or, what you know, the, the, the numbers yeah, so you have something special that goes to the newsletter that doesn't go somewhere else. And the very first thing, you've got to have something that they want to have enough to give you their email. So that's why I was thinking the document that has a map of the of the cool places to go hiking and, and tying it back to different pieces of artwork and why it's inspiring. And so 
people who live in your area or maybe people who don't live in your area, they like your artwork and they think maybe they'll travel there and hike, you know, then they'll sign up for the email letter just for that. And that's what's called a lead magnet. And now you have a bunch of people in your email list and you send them out, you know, you know, once a month newsletters, this is what I just, you know, did. Here's my latest hike or here's a, uh, first look, something you think is going to sell out. You say, here's first look. You guys have it a week ahead of time. Let me know if you want it. Otherwise, it's going out to the public, that sort of thing. Just thinking a little bit about, I guess, what you, you know, your cyber investigation work. Like, do people need to be aware of things like when they have subscribers, they need to keep their emails you know, the address is private and, and are these things that artists should be thinking about as well or is it, you know, are these sites that they're going with to create their website, so they pretty secure and they don't need to be too concerned? Like can they just leave that up to the website, you know, the people that own them as such? Yeah, I'm just a little curious to know about how, what that sort of process is about how much artists should be thinking about security as well. And even, even I guess, also things like... Um, I, I don't know, you, you would obviously know far more than me, but thinking about like keeping your images of your work, um, you know, being aware of their copyright or, or how easy are they to steal images, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's kind of a hard one. So as far as the security of the website, <laughs> I think the main thing that I would do for security, and we're not talking about the copyright of the images yet. Um, the main thing that I would do for security yeah. is, Normally, if you're going to have a domain and you can buy a domain separate from your website, so buy a domain from like Google and then point it at any website mm-hmm. you want to. And that way you can switch if you want, or if that website goes down your domain, you can just actually switch it and point it to your Instagram temporarily or whatever, so that you don't have to have a website that's down. Um, use a different yep. email than the one you publicly have that people email to you to sign up for your website or if you're, um, domain. And that's just a security thing so that somebody doesn't try to say, hey, I'm, you know, your domain owner or whatever. And the website will say, no, you're not, you don't even have the right email address. You know what I mean? So, um, and as far as security goes, um, I tend to have my websites look more like bulletin boards. I guess um, what I mean is I don't have a lot of information on there that I consider secret information anyway. If somebody goes to hack my website yeah. and get all the information off of there, that's fine. It would, you know, but um, as far as copyright pr- protection on your images, that's a really hard one. I and mean, I see arguments both ways. Some people put watermarks on their images. Um, some people will p- have a lower resolution image. And those are two ways that you can kind of protect your um, images, but people can remove watermarks with different technology. Um, the low resolution images, then that's that's also low resolution for your customers. So I tend to think, yeah. you know, I'm just going to put them out there at, at the full size. Um, what people could do is they might take my image and go to Redbubble or Society6 and start selling t-shirts with it, I guess. Um, but as a poor painter, mm-hmm. it's really hard for somebody to duplicate that on canvas. So I personally... Yeah, mine's right. not that bad. Um, and I find that for most artists as well, if somebody tries to duplicate your piece exactly on canvas, most of the time it won't be exact. Um, and you can do reverse image searches to see if somebody's trying to sell your images somewhere else. I know there was a huge problem where some large stores were, were taking artists' images and putting them on T-shirts and selling them at these you know huge department stores. Um, a reverse image search should be able to kind of find that information too. 
Is there something else we haven't thought to, or I haven't mentioned yet? Is there anything else you, you know, pressing that we need to talk about? It's just, it feels like we could talk about this for days. It's just one of those subjects that <laughs> has so many different options. I can absolutely talk about this stuff for days. I don't, I don't know that we've missed anything though important because I think, you know, the number one thing is get a website. If you can get a domain and then point that to whatever your website's going to be and get an email list. And that will, you know, yeah. those three things I'd say more important than Instagram, even though I love Instagram. I think those are more important. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. You know, they're not going away unless you decide to make them go away. Exactly. And you have full control. You're the owner of those sites versus you're renting some space, I guess, on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. You are, I guess, even if it's free, you're still renting space, you know. And, um, yeah, you would hate to wake up one day and that audience is gone because that platform has gone too. So you would have to start over again in many ways. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Kirby. I really appreciate you taking some time out to speak with us. Um, this is a fascinating topic and it is one we could talk for hours about. Thank you so much. We will pop in to your episode uh, links to your websites. I hope you enjoyed that episode, Posse. Let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter, so share your comments there. I hope to see you somewhere online.